Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, so far in Ephesians, uh, this study that we're doing, we've seen that the book of Ephesians divided into two parts. Uh, the first part is instruction from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to us about who we are as individuals and and uh, before God and who we are not only as individuals but as a group as a body of Christ the church the second part of Ephesians is about what we do what God's expectations of us are now that we are transformed people the overarching theme of this study in Ephesians is spiritual transformation and uh, as we are seeing when God transforms us it is always with a specific purpose in mind. The beginning language of chapter 4 is very strong. It says, I urge you, make every effort to do what? To live humbly, to, to live patiently, and to be gentle with one another. Unity is the theme in this chapter. And that same theme continues with these verses that we're looking at tonight. Being gentle, being humble, patient is a part of the equation in living in unity in the church. The other part is that people who want unity need leadership or it will be very difficult. It's going to be like every man for himself. If you don't have leadership in the body of Christ, you're going to have chaos. Uh, human beings, even Christian human beings tend to be selfish, don't we? And we tend to prefer our, our independence. I've met a lot of very humble, gentle, patient Christians who preferred to be alone <laughs> and not work as team members within Christ's church. And when asked to participate, they defer. When challenged to bring their Christian example into the context of the body of Christ, they say, no, don't want to do that. So then you begin to wonder why they wouldn't want to be a part of God's wonderful team. And I think that's where leadership comes in. 
people who want to live out true unity usually don't have any problems following leadership. People who really aren't that interested in unity will talk about unity, they will acknowledge it, and yet they remain isolated from the church. These people also tend to be very content under their own leadership. (laughs) And this kind of independent attitude was discouraged in the New Testament, just as it should be today. And so Paul reminded the Ephesians, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. This language of Paul's referring to the gifts given to the church is seen in other places in his letters as well. You might remember that in chapter 3 of this book of Ephesians, he spoke of his own apostolic gift. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. It was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Romans 12, Paul wrote, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. In other words, spiritual gifts were then and are now given to the members of the church individually by the grace of God so that those gifts can be shared in the church for its blessing. When God gives me a gift, it isn't just for me. He gives it to me individually, but then I am to go in and be a part of the team and share it. Huh? God's gifts to God's people are given proportionally. They are not given indiscriminately. And so, for some, God gives grace to do one thing. For others, grace to do something else. What they all have in common, though, all of the people with all the gifts, is that they are given as God wills it to be given. Each person is given only so much grace to do just so much. And then that portion that they are given is their limit. In this section of Ephesians, Paul was focusing more on the leadership gifts that were evident in the early church instead of the gifts given at large to the whole church. In other words, not everybody could be a leader at that time. And being a leader was a gift. Some men and women were gifted by God for this leadership. Others were not. F.F. Bruce describes it this way. Here the gifts are the persons who exercise those ministries and who are said to be given by the ascended Christ to his people to enable them to function and develop as they should. So, in other places where Paul speaks of a spiritual gift, such as uh, miracles or faith or healing or tongues, whatever it might be, it's a spiritual thing that is given to a person to be used for blessing the church. But here, the spiritual gift to the church is not a thing, it's a person in the form of an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so because we're talking about transformation in the whole book of Ephesians, we see that God places leaders in the church to help effect that transformation in Christian believers. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking here about what these four kinds of leaders do in the church because 
I have, I, I want to get at some other stuff tonight. We could do that, but I want to get at some other things that are here. Suffice to, suffice to say that an apostle is basically like a missionary. It's a church planter. And a prophet prophesies, an evangelist evangelizes, and a pastor teacher does what that describes. What's more interesting to me, though, is this. It's the terminology Paul used in describing these gifts. Gifts, they said, they are God's gifts to the church, given through Jesus Christ for a very specific purpose. Verse 11 says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, etc. It's not often that we look at a leader in the church as a gift from God. But that's how they are described here. And why should we need this gift from God? Well, we're going to take a look at that in the rest of this section. Look at specific words and phrases in the next few verses, such as prepare, works of service, built up, mature, fullness of Christ, grow up, each part doing its work. In the last two messages in Ephesians, we saw from Paul that there were imperatives there, such as live like this, be completely humble like that, be patient, make every effort. And we learned that an imperative is the same thing as an order, meaning that there is an expectation from God toward the disciple of Christ that we will do such and such. Here we learn that God, in His infinite wisdom, places certain people in the church to help us along, to ensure that we will rise to His expectations. These leaders, or gifts, as Paul puts it here, are placed in the church to motivate us and train us and correct us. And when their job is being done, we discover that church members are built up and they are prepared for works of service and church members begin to become more mature in their faith. And as each one grows, he begins to do his part of the work of the church. Celebration Church has such men and women. They have been placed in our midst by God to lead us. They are not perfect people, but they have matured themselves by learning how to follow. All the leaders that you have in this church, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a Bible study leader or children's church or an office worker, whatever, every leader has had to come up through God's school teaching uh, by, by being taught and, being, and having to follow and learn and grow in their spiritual formation. Uh, so they have matured and now they're leading. And the first goal of a leader who leads in church is to help God's people do the same thing. Help them towards spiritual transformation. If we don't have leadership in the church then all of the imperatives that we see in this last half of Ephesians are simply impossible for us to do. They're unattainable. You have to have leadership to do this stuff. Imagine this. A group of young men who sign up to try out for the high school football team in the spring. During the summer, they train individually. They get ready for tryouts and two-a-days 
in August, just before the football season begins. And then the big day comes. Uh, the first Monday morning of August, and all the guys show up at the field. They're ready to go. <laughs> but there's no coaches there. No head coach. No defensive line coach, no running backs coach or receivers coach, no strength coach, no offensive coordinator, no defensive coordinator. They're gone. It's just the players on the field sitting there staring at each other. There's nobody there to evaluate their talent. There's no one uh, to decide you go here and you go there. Who plays what? Who gets cut from the team? Who plays first? second, third string quarterback. There's, there's no one there to call them into order. There's no one there to lead them in calisthenics. No one there to guide them or teach them plays or coach them when they need coaching. Nobody. This team of young men is on its own. Imagine that. And we know that a team of young men left to itself like this, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Without coaching, this team will actually never be a team. And it will definitely not be able to compete. You know, there are certain things that are expected of a football team if that team signs up to compete during a football season against other teams in the same league. They have to be competitive. They have to know the rules. They need to know the schedule so they'll show up for the games at the right place and the right time. They need coaches. And a team without a coach will meet none of these expectations, and we understand that in the field of athletics. Well, the same holds true in a church. It's just that we are often not aware of our need for coach in the church. We sometimes think that we can be the church without any real leadership. Or sometimes we are tempted to think that we need leadership, but we don't really need any teeth in the leadership. Or sometimes we accept leadership until leadership tells us that we have to change or serve or forgive. Then all of a sudden we don't need it anymore. Sometimes we give up on leadership because we think it's just too much trouble. Sometimes leadership makes us mad because we discovered that leaders themselves are human and they make mistakes. Sometimes we don't trust leadership because of poor examples that we've seen in the past. Sometimes we're just not willing to admit to our own immaturity and our own rebellion. And we develop this delusion that we're better than leadership and we don't need their help. And when a church gets like that, and churches do exist who are like this, when a church gets like this, when they come to the point where it accepts no leadership, where the church begins to chafe at accountability and instruction, when a group of people decides that it will be self-led, self-determining, self-guiding, self-instructing, that group ceases to be the church. Instead, it's just a group of people out on the playing field, no direction, no leadership, no purpose, no identity, no goals, no real future. That's not the church. It is not transforming spiritually, and it is not conformed to the likeness of Christ. It may look like a body of believers, but in actuality, it's becoming 
nothing. That's how important leadership is in the church. Cysts are like this. Cysts appear to be a part of our body. They are made up of organic material just like all the other members of our body. They are fed by the same blood vessels. uh, And uh, in reality, they are just an entity unto themselves in the presence of a real living body. A host body. Cysts are the most are are the most part cysts I'm sorry for the most part are encased in their own membrane they grow larger in size but are never really part of the body they often interfere with blood flow and nerve function and eventually they have to be removed surgically an individual who imagines himself being a christian And a part of the church of Christ, yet refuses leadership, is kind of like that. This person appears to be a part, but because he's not led, and because he refuses orders or instruction, he becomes encased in his own hard membrane, right within the body. And in the end, he makes no real contribution to the life of the church. He's just kind of along for the ride. Paul the Apostle knew this about the church. And so he took time to instruct the Ephesians in this place about their need for leadership. And how important it was. So important, as a matter of fact, that he called leadership to the church God's gift. God's gift. Let's take a look at what leaders do. In the church. First, Paul said in verse 12 that the leader is there to prepare God's people for works of service. Remember, there is a marked difference between the language in the first half of Ephesians and the second half. The first half talks about grace, the second half talks about responsibility. Ephesians 2 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves, a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so we know salvation comes to the individual by the grace of God, not by that person's good works. We know that. That salvation brings about a transformation, however, whereas that person could not do God's work before having been crippled by sin. Now, He is able to do this. He is transformed by God. He is not working himself into a transformation. He is being transformed. What the individual could not accomplish ever on his own, God has accomplished in him by grace. But Ephesians 2 verse 10 follows with this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it kind of looks like this if you break it down. Number one, man exists in a helpless state regarding his relationship to God. Second, salvation comes to that man by grace. Third, salvation transforms the man, makes him a new man. Fourth, transformation enables that man to do God's work. There is similarity in the words used in chapter 2 and chapter 4 that we're reading. Uh, Workmanship, good works in chapter 2 and then chapter 4, works of service. In both places, God, of course, is the enabler. 
the power giver, the grace giver. Yes, we know that. We understand that. He gives to a transformed man or woman the supernatural ability to do good works. There are expectations, though, of that transformed man or woman, but not unreasonable expectations. God expects work from us, but only after he has transformed us so that we can do it. And if this work of preparation in God's people is to take place, evidently it is God's intention that that happen through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. People leading people are the luckiest people. No. And our preparation for maturity in the body Our preparation has a point. We are being prepared by God through God's leaders for something special. We are not being prepared for more regular church attendance. That's not it. We are not being prepared to be better Bible scholars. That's a good thing. But that's not the big main purpose. We're not being prepared by our leaders to sing well during worship because some of us are hopeless cases. <laughs> we know that. We're not being prepared by our leaders to be better prepared. We're not being prepared to wait until Christ comes back, although we are to expect that. We're not being prepared to be doctrinal experts. We're not being prepared to build a better building or provide a better program than the church down the street. This, is, this isn't a competition that we're in. We're being prepared of all things to serve. Evidently, when apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are leading in the church... Members of that church serve each other, and in so doing, they build each other up. That's the reason we're being trained. And when we build each other up through the instruction examples of our leaders, we're actually building up the body, which is the church of Jesus Christ. That particular process is to last us a lifetime. And the result will be something that Paul called a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, resulting in our maturity to such a degree that we actually attain the whole measure of the fullness of God. And I have absolutely no idea what that means. Our imaginations could only conceive of that, but I can't yet. what it means to attain to the whole fullness of God. But Paul said, that's where we're headed if we attain unity within the body. So, one responsibility of a leader in the church is to prepare God's people for works of service, to instruct them on how to serve one another. Leaders who lead in this way discover along the way that something wonderful happens in the people that they are leading. These people become more mature and in turn become more full of God. There's another dynamic that happens when leaders lead in the church. And that is that people progress from spiritual infancy into adulthood. The word used here is infancy. 
That word picture is used in other places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, Paul wrote, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not yet ready for it. Okay, so he wrote this regarding the divisions among the Corinthian believers, whereas they should have been way beyond fighting over things that didn't matter. They were still bickering over the minor stuff, and in so doing, they were losing their effectiveness as a church. Because they were not in unity. The writer of the epistle of Hebrews said this. By this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, there's that word again, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Peter wrote to the church at large these things about our growing up in Christ. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, infants. Crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, it's no mystery to us what is meant when these men use the words infant and baby. We understand that an infant is a person who is basically helpless, unable to protect himself. F.F. Bruce points out that in the spiritual life, uh, infants are easy prey for false teachers and others who would like to lead them astray from the true path. These young ones are further characterized as ships at sea without adequate means of steering, tossed about by the waves and carried this way and that according to the prevailing winds. It is one thing to be an infant. It is another thing altogether to want to stay that way. And sadly, some believers in Christ choose never to grow beyond their infancy. Paul was not naive. When it uh, came to the future of the Ephesian church, he knew that they could not afford to stay in their infancy. He knew they would have to grow out really fast. When he said goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he tried to help them be aware of the dangers that they were facing in his absence. He said, I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So, in other words, Paul was saying to the Ephesian elders, guys, you got to grow up fast here. You know, wolves are on the way. I can't come back and, and, and nurse you through any more years of this. I've got other stuff i got to do. So do this, okay? And so as mature spiritual people, the Ephesians, with the help of their apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, were to mature and learn to discern good stuff from bad stuff. And what would come out of the mouth of such a mature believer? He would be speaking of the truth from a loving heart. It's so hard to get that balance. But Paul assures us that a mature spiritual person can achieve the balance speaking the truth and speaking in love. That's one of the marks of a mature believer. 
Speaking the truth in love, it's hard. First of all, I have to speak the truth, meaning I have to know the truth, and then I've got to study the truth, and then be willing to teach it to others, and finally live it out as a good example. Truth, <laughs> truth was a rare commodity then, it's a rare commodity today. And sometimes truth hurts. When you speak it, it hurts. When you read it, when you hear it, when you learn it, it hurts. It can hurt me. It can hurt you if I speak it to you. It's difficult sometimes. So we can't always avoid pain when it comes to the truth. (laughs) I think a lot about the wicked queen in the movie Snow White. You know, she's parading in front of the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? And the mirror had some very disappointing news for this lady. Vain is your beauty, majesty, but oh, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Ah! And she discovers that Snow White is her name and she hisses, Alash for her. (laughs) Truth hurts. But we also know that truth can save us if it's applied to an open, teachable heart. But truth also, when it's spoken, has to be given in love. That's the other half of that equation in helping us to mature into saints and leaders. And, and speaking truth in love is also a pretty difficult thing to pull off. Vicki Edwards wrote, It's nice to talk with people who can make a point without impaling you on it. Here is some great advice. I read this in Leadership Magazine, the anonymous author. When you do find it necessary to criticize someone, put your criticism in the form of a question which the other fellow is practically sure to have to answer in such a manner that he becomes his own critic. That's a good leadership tool, isn't it? Learn how to ask questions instead of just hammering it in on them. Speaking the truth in love. Ask a question. Speaking truth in love and receiving truth in love produce spiritual growth in a believer. Every believer is a leader in process. Every one of us. As he or she grows toward maturity, leadership will be the natural outcome. And as a result... We grow together until the body of Christ is in proper proportion to the head of the body, who is Christ himself. We draw our life from our head and we grow into his perfectly proportioned body, who is Jesus Christ. Alive and strong and every ligament supporting the other and each part doing its work as Paul said here in verse 16 growing up becoming a mature Christian involves my growing into my gifting we have to see that operating in our spiritual gift is not optional in the church it's absolutely necessary if we are to achieve unity and maturity and fullness in Christian character. Now if I do my part, the body as a whole will grow and mature and succeed. If I do my part. If I hold back or I try to monopolize everything, nothing's going to grow, nothing matures, and nothing will succeed. Got to share the glory. Every part supports every other part. 
It's very important. In closing tonight, I just want to share this with you. I was born without a left hip socket. And I had several operations uh, when I was a kid to try to fix the problem. And for the most part, the operations were successful. Uh, The deformity that was in my hip meant that muscles and ligaments going from my hip to my femur, uh, the pelvis to the femur, were not stretched properly. They were too close and they were bunched up. And because those muscles and ligaments were not stretched, believe it or not, my leg didn't grow either. It's an odd situation. The deformed bone caused the muscles not to stretch, which caused the bone to deform even more. Had I not had those surgeries, I would have ended up a virtual cripple. Bones need muscles and ligaments which need good bones and it goes in a cycle like that. I didn't know this before I had these surgeries but your bones and your ligaments work together with the uh, with the, or your bones and your ligaments and muscles work together with the bones so that the bone grows properly. They all have to grow together in proportion or you don't have a good leg. They are designed by God, isn't this interesting, to grow together, to feed each other. And if one or the other gets sick, there is no growth. Think about that, especially as it relates to our church's need, Celebration Church Network, our need for more leadership. We always need more leadership here. God places leadership in a church to promote growth. It is natural and it is healthy. Leadership at celebration is a, is, is a crucial thing for our growth. And God has given us some great leaders here. I want to encourage you tonight, if you're a leader in the Celebration Network, to continue in your walk with Christ, to live out the gift that God has put in you, to be patient, And to live a life of good reputation. I also want to encourage those of you who attend any of the Celebration Network campuses to respect our leaders, to pray for them, to listen to what they say, and try your best to follow their lead. Leaders, as you operate in your gifts, you will grow. And you will feed into the health and the well-being of our church. And this is why we are proactive at celebration about maturity and leadership and growth. I believe that is the natural course of things in God's universal church. Healthy churches are made up of members who follow the leaders and listen to what they say and pray for them. And I think that's how we achieve unity and growth together and attain to the fullness of Christ, at least in our little corner of the church and this little corner of Green Bay in Wisconsin. That's God's plan. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this particular portion in Ephesians. Lord, learning about unity, learning about the purpose behind why leaders are placed in the body of Christ. 
Lord, we understand that our leaders are not perfect, but Lord, you have placed them here so that we can learn from them. Help us, Lord, to respect them and to be humble and to be teachable. Lord, for those who are here who your spirit is upon and you've been working and training them on the inside, preparing them for leadership in the future, some may not even know it. And yet, you know, God, you have a plan for them. Would you continue to teach them these good things, these things of the spirit, these things that are so important for our spiritual growth that we can become all that you have planned for us to be. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for these words and these encouragements to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.